Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of homeownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Chris Klug. Chris was born and raised in Aspen, Colorado and knows a thing or two about athletic achievement and real estate success. He got involved in the sport of snowboarding in the early days and was a three-time Olympic Winter Games participant and 2002 bronze medalist in Salt Lake City. As the recipient of a liver transplant, Chris started the Chris Klug Foundation in 2004 with the mission of promoting life-saving donation and helping improve the quality of life for donors, recipients, and transplant families. Chris leveraged his snowboarding career, nonprofit experience, motivational speaking, and passion for the outdoors into an extraordinarily successful real estate career in a relatively short amount of time. He is currently with Aspen Snowmass Sotheby's International Realty. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Christian. Nice to catch up with you. Is there anything I missed in your origin story that listeners should be aware of? I think you nailed it. You know, I'm having uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. That's one of my mantras is keep it fun and, and keep it entertaining. And I think that's sort of been a, a uh, common thread through my snowboarding career, through my organ transplant, uh, waiting list process and, and second chance at life and has carried over into my real estate uh, practice and, and career. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. And I think the cliche is if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life is, uh, is very true for me. So how did that transition from a competitive snowboarding career and all your work with the Chris Kluke Foundation transition into a real estate career? Well, I think as you know, uh, competing at a high level in any sport is extremely competitive and you want to be the best. And I share with my team, Dylan and Allie uh, with Kluke Properties all the time that You know, you look at someone like Michaela Schifrin and she isn't winning a slalom or a GS by a second or two because she simply has faster skis. She's not winning simply because she's got a little bit more aggressive line. It's really the the culmination of four or five, six different things that she's doing better. She's a half a percent mentally tougher. She's a fraction of a percent better equipment and and more testing and, and a better setup. She's got a percentage of a of a degree of a percentage of a better line and everything it all adds up and so often what i say to my team is you know where are there differentiators where can we improve and i used to get so angry at my best friend bill fabricini when we do different physical testing and, and analyses when i was competing on my snowboard and he'd say listen your your right ankle mobility is really weak and i'd say bill what the heck you're supposed to pump me up, make me feel good and and uh, and build my confidence, not tear me down and, and highlight my weaknesses. He said, Chris, you're already competing at a high level with this compromise or this weakness. If we can fix that, imagine where you're going to go. And so I think it's the little things that add up. It's the devil's in the details, whether you're trying to win an Olympic medal or whether you're trying to be one of the top uh, sales professionals in Aspen or the Roaring Fork Valley. No, that's a really great analogy, Chris. I think Michaela is just so head and shoulders above her peers. You obviously can relate to her quest for, you know, athletic achievement, you know, and it it is hyper competitive here in Aspen and and everything. And that's kind of defines our market to a degree. What, What would you define? How would you define your niche in this market? I certainly lean on my snowboarding success and my Olympic career. That's a great door opener. I think early on in my career, it was, it was challenging to change the conversation from Chris Klug, the snowboarder, to Chris Klug, the real estate professional. And so I really grinded for a lot of years to 
uh, understand the market, to understand the product, and then hone my craft with contracts, with the legal side of the business, with the design and the construction aspect that's so important to our business as well, and to just knowing the market inside and out. But I would say for me, some of the differentiators or, or I think advantages that maybe I bring to the table is, you know, a great work ethic. And, and really when you're talking about the top five or 10 realtors in uh, Aspen Snowmass and the Roaring Fork Valley, they're all really sharp, they all work very hard and they're all really good. I think maybe some of the things that I do differently is, is certainly rely on my, uh, my social media channels and, and platform, which is the most expansive in the, uh, in the local brokerage community. A lot of uh, emphasis on video. I think doing lots of interviews and lots of broadcast experience over my 20-year career really helped me and I'm relatively comfortable in front of the camera. And so I really brought that into my real estate career and thought, how can we make um, these properties and, and telling these stories more interactive and, and more fun? And that's what I love about this business is you get to position a property, you get to tell the story, you get to focus on what makes it so special and unique. And so it's no different, Christian, than, than what you've done in your career is really telling the story and telling it in a unique and fun way that really puts it in its very best light. Let's unpack that a little bit in terms of you do have a very big social media presence, you know, and I've been watching you through the years and it's very impressive in terms of what you've been able to achieve with both your video production quality and assets for the properties you're listing and just your, your constant stream of content coming out the blog, uh, you know, why the focus there, how have you been able to differentiate yourself using those channels and how important is it for a realtor to be in that social media space? It's not just about the, the flooring and the trusses and the roof and the siding and all the FF&E and, and what makes up a house. It's also the lifestyle. And we're selling, uh, I think a big part of, of what we're selling isn't just the, uh, the brick and mortar, if you will. It's also the lifestyle and, and what it affords you, this incredible quality of life. And I think my traveling on a snowboard and living out of a suitcase for 20 years affords me that perspective of having visited most of the great ski and snowboard resorts around North America, but also around the world. And so I can speak intelligently when somebody says, hey, we're also considering um, Park City, or we're also considering Deer Valley, or uh, Stowe, Vermont, or Squaw and, and, and North Lake Tahoe or something. I can speak about a lot of those other resort communities because I've spent a lot of time there. I really enjoy, as you mentioned, telling that story through social media, through video, uh, and trying to bring those properties to life and, and highlighting not just the, the fixtures, the furnishings, the equipment, the actual improvements, but also, did you know that 1020 Carroll Drive, for example, it backs up to Forest Service land you have a, a private HOA access right to shady side lane and to sunny side trails and highlighting some of those features too, not just, as I said, the finishes, I think is really an important part of our job. 1020 Carroll Drive is one of your current listings, I believe at 46 million. How can you, how is it, those numbers are pretty staggering, to be honest. Uh, and a lot of people that are listening probably can't relate to buying a $46 million home or particularly selling a $46 million home. What does it take to market and sell a property like that? Well, I think a lot of questions, you know, really doing your research. And, and I've had a lot of success in Starwood and, and McLean Flats. We sold 150 Whitehorse Springs earlier this year, which was a, a spec development with my clients out of uh, Southern California. And I think really I was involved in that process with 150 Whitehorse Springs really from the beginning. You know, I do weekly meetings with the architectural team, with the design team and the developer and the builders and really knowing the product inside and out. And that's the same thing with 1020 Carroll Drive. I worked with the property managers, with the seller, with the HOA and just making sure that I was truly an expert on the property. And then I think once you you do all your research with, for example, Ike Kligerman Barkley out of New York City, the architectural firm that designed the house. 
and then Hanson Construction that built it. I picked all of their brains for weeks and, and really became an expert on the property. Then we could formulate, okay, what are the best aspects of this house? How do we best tell this story in just a few bullet points? Because oftentimes in this Zillow world that we live in, you only get a few seconds to capture somebody's attention. So how do I put my best foot forward and tell this story in a couple of images and a couple of opening sentences so that I can really encourage that viewer to take the next step to go to our custom URL, then look at the Matterport and the 3D tour, take the video tour, look at the photos and ultimately pick up the phone and say, I want to see this. You know, that's very in-depth in terms of who you're working with and how involved you're getting in that process. Is the same process exist for a home that's not a new build or a new or total remodel, maybe a condo or a particular listing that you have? Is the same type of energy going to every sale or every listing? Definitely more in a $46 million property that uh, encompasses 115 acres and six parcels. Uh, without a doubt, because that's almost like listing six or seven different things. For example, my real entree into this business was through my father, who was the general manager at Aspen Square Condominium Hotel in downtown Aspen for 25 years. And uh, I grew up in the condo hotel business. So I don't want to say that's you know second nature for me, but I really learned through my father's mentorship and, and guidance and, and tutoring the, the condominium business. And so it may seem really simple when I can make a price recommendation on a listing pricing strategy and how that compares to the comps and the competition, because I know that really well, just you know, like the back of my hand. But I think it also, a lot of energy goes into that, but maybe it's, it's more energy that you've invested over your career. And I think that's sometimes one of the challenges for people that look at our business and say, wow, you just sold a five or $10 million house and, and it went pretty easily. And I think oftentimes that's because, you know, you really have a great body of work under your belt. You've listed and sold a lot of properties and, and you know how to position it, how to tell the story, what the comps, the competition and, and what's happening with the market trends. And so you can find that sweet spot, uh, the range where to price it, where to position it and what to focus on that is really important to buyers today. So I guess to answer your question, certainly more goes into a $46 million listing than a million dollar Aspen Square Studio listing. But I've also been uh, selling both for a really long time. And for example, in, in Starwood have a great track record up there. And so I think you draw a lot on your experience as well. So when a, when a buyer, when a potential seller comes to you and you know is interested in using Kluge properties to sell and list their property, what do they expect from you? Well, first things first, let me take a step back. I, I like uh, the approach of a pre-listing packet. I give uh, any seller that's considering working with me, I will drop off on their doorstep. Oftentimes it's, uh, it's sent as a PDF because so many of our second, third, fourth homeowners are in other primary markets that come here part-time or, or half the year. And so I'll send them a pre-listing packet that really says, hey, this, this is who I am and, and this is some of, uh, some of my experience and, and kind of my approach. And then I, what I like to do if, if when we're in person is say, hey, let's take a tour of your home. Nobody knows it better than you, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. Why don't you tell me what you love most about the house? And I just shut up and listen take the tour, they're going to tell you, oh, this is where, you know, our kids were born. This is where we love to have Thanksgiving dinner. You wouldn't believe the outdoor parties we've had on this patio. And they're effectively writing your marketing description for you. They will tell you with more passion than anyone possibly could all about their home. And that's a real gift. You just shut up and listen and they tell you everything you need to know and how to sell the house. And then it really comes down to two other things. First of all, they give you the tour, you learn the house inside and out. Secondly, they want to know about your marketing presentation and what do you bring to the table? What differentiates you from a Stephen Shane at Compass or Carrie Wells at Coldwell or my partners, Craig uh, Morris or, or Andrew Erneman? What differentiates you? And so I lay out two or three things that I think 
I do better than anyone. My social media reach, my website that generated about 10,000 people January this year, 10,000 unique visitors in, in January alone, and the, uh, the reliance and importance of video. And that goes on to virtual tours and everything we're doing through the social media channels, IGTV and, and Facebook Live. And so you talk about the marketing advantage of, of you as the individual and your brokerage and, and, the, and perhaps the global reach and what you bring to the table. And then the third conversation is, what's my house worth? And that's really part art and part science. And I sit down, I say, listen, this is uh, somehow we have to meld the art and the science. And the science is the comps, the competition and the market trends. And the art is Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what's your expectation and what's your timeline? And what do you hope to accomplish in this sale? And uh, if they're totally unrealistic and 25% above where the market is, that might not be the right fit. But if somehow you can you can marry the art and the science and you feel like you have a good rapport and uh, it's a good relationship and you'd like to move forward, that's usually uh, makes for uh, the best arrangement and, and the best success moving forward. Wow. So 10,000 unique visitors to your website in the month of January. How does that translate to clients, number of clients that you have in your database? Well, there's about 5,000 clients in my CRM. I use Close as a CRM and I love it. And it tells you, you know, every day where you are with uh, your agenda and your transaction flow, who you're interacting with, and for that matter, who you're not doing a very good job communicating with. So that's a great tool for me. But I think there's really, Christian, a, a method to my madness that all the spokes in the wheel go back to the hub and the hub is my website. Through our social media, through our video, through our print campaigns, through our partnerships with different referral groups and different best practice groups, everything we're doing is trying to drive traffic back to the site. Everything from a vanity URL on the Aspen Snowmass Sotheby's custom sign. Um, that's really what my goal is to drive them back to the property pages on the site, to our blog, to our virtual reality tours, to our video page. All the content uh, is really one-stop shopping that resides on our website. So your client base is pretty extensive. That's impressive. Uh, well done there. What... There's a few knuckle draggers in there from my past. But for the most part, they're, uh, they're clients, but definitely a few buddies from uh, my snowboarding years. But like I said, most of them are our clients and, uh, and good friends that we get to work with. Where would you say, like, just generally, like, what markets are they primarily from? Well, our, our seven big feeder markets are, are where really all my buyers come from. And that's Denver, Dallas, Houston, Chicago, Miami, LA, uh, and New York. Those are our, our main feeder markets and where 90% of all of our buyers come from. Uh, this January and of course this year has been a little more challenging to start the year because as you well know, there's no Brazilians and Australians which make up our uh, number one and number two international visitors. And furthermore, there's really no international business. So it's been a pretty quiet January, which has given me a chance to kind of focus on uh, everything we need to do to replenish our historically low inventory and organize clothes and launch our Living Aspen magazine and, and do all the things that I think we need to do to have a great 2021. If you had to generalize what types of businesses that you're buyers and clients typically represent, what would you say? Certainly a lot of finance, a lot of development. I'd say that's number one and number two. We do get a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that are involved in, in finance in some way and, and Wall Street and, and hedge funds. That's uh, a big, yeah, a big buyer pool for us, if you will. Do they often own vacation homes in other destinations? Yes. I think uh, I always joke with my wife and, and I know for our family, you know, the only thing we're missing here in Aspen is the beach. So I often find that somebody that uh, owns in uh, New York often uh, has a place in the mountains and at the beach. And if uh, it's so funny that where do we go as Aspenites or people that live in the mountains, where, where do we go on vacation? We always go to the beach. And I think that's the same thing for many of our South American guests and, and many of our Miami buyers and, and clientele, they live at the beach, so they want to own at the mountains. And you mentioned this before we were, when we were talking, you said, you know, sometimes some of your buyers or clients 
they might be considering other mountain towns besides Aspen. Um, which other ones do they, what do they look at when they're considering an Aspen purchase? Well, I think um, Jackson is another place that, that people often look at. And I was joking, I say it's called a hole for a reason. It's very cold. No, <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of Jackson. I love that area. Um, but obviously I'm biased. I'm an Aspenite through and through. And I think our um, cultural opportunities, our, our events calendar, our access, our 45 plus art, uh, art galleries and museums and culinary delights and, and food and wine and all of that stuff, I think really differentiates us. And there are uh, there are a lot of places I'd love to visit around the country and around the world to ski and board and and visit, but nowhere I'd rather live than here. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a pretty amazing place to live if you can figure out how to live here. But let's be frank, the, the price points are astronomic right now, especially coming off of the record year that was 2020. You know, and, and buyers still want to be here. You know, and, and you know, what is it? What is it about Aspen that ultimately attracts this type of fervent client base? Well, I think it's a lot of things we mentioned that, you know, it's more than just a great ski, mountain bike, fly fishing, golfing destination resort. It obviously has a, a very special community and I think uh, very progressive in terms of uh, environmental initiatives and, and things like the Ideas Fest. I think the importance of arts and, and culture and and everything else that I think makes Aspen so special. But yes, you're absolutely right with a single family home price at uh, about 11 11.2 million dollars finishing out 2020. Uh, it is one of the more expensive real estate markets in the world and uh, that that is a challenge without a doubt. So the superlatives are there. 2020 finished north of $3 billion in transactions in Picking County. How did it finish up for you? Well, I, I got to say, Christian, that, uh, you know, I, had a, I set a very ambitious goal for uh, 2020 a year ago. Last January, I sat down with the team and I said, you know, we're going to sell $100 million this year. And uh, here's how we're going to do it. Through the first quarter, I think we'd sold uh, about seven or eight million dollars. March 14th, as you well know, the lift stopped spinning and COVID uh, shut down Aspen Snowmass and our four resorts and, and the rest of the world. And I think I had five things under contract and they all imploded on the 15th or 16th of, of March and mid-March. And then all spring, we were just hoping and praying that we'd even have a summer selling season. You know, nobody knew what to expect. It was extremely slow in uh, April, May and, and through June. It wasn't really until the end of June that a switch got flipped and uh, it really has been all hands on deck ever since. And so it was an absolutely historic 2020 selling season, in particular for single family homes. Condos and townhouses were, were also very strong. But the priorities or, or the wish list really changed from since the Great Recession, a demand or importance of being in and around the downtown core and a huge premium for convenience and walkability. And then anything newer, more mountain contemporary type product, more minimalist, cleaner, contemporary lines that remains. People want new. They want open concept floor plans. They want mountain contemporary, as I said, minimalist finishes, but now being on the periphery was okay. Give me a few acres, a pool, four plus bedrooms and access and amenities where I can gym and work and do everything that I need to do at my house. I don't have to be at ground zero anymore. And so it really led to an absolute explosion in 2020 as a result of the great COVID-fueled migration and, and an exodus from urban areas to the suburbs and, and resort markets. And we've never seen anything like it. It was absolutely, as I said, all hands on deck since the end of June. 
which resulted in uh, we sold 206 million in 2020 and, and doubled our goal through about halfway through 2020. So it was a lot of fun and uh, resulted in my most successful year ever and, and that of my teams. And uh, certainly a huge year for our company, Aspen Snowmass Sotheby's. And just uh, we had so much fun doing it. It was crazy and definitely was sleep deprived for most of the year, but a lot of fun and a lot of great lessons learned. And we welcomed some uh, wonderful new families to our communities and, and made some great new friendships. And I'm very grateful for that. You really tapped into something that's, you know, obviously a big trend. You know, there's an urban exodus happening. The mountain towns are are seeing demand like they've never seen. People, like you described, people are coming here to recreate, live, kind of self-contain their world in their new home here, able to escape code, work from there. Do you think that's a trend that's sustainable long-term that will continue? Or is that is that just go with the pandemic? Well, I think it's opened so many people's eyes to not only this incredible quality of life that we enjoy in all of these mountain towns, but also I think they, they've realized like, hey, I, I don't have to with Zoom, with go to meeting, with all of this, uh, these tools we now have at our disposal to work from wherever you are. I think people are are realizing that I can work from Aspen, I can ski and, and hike and, and skin and bike and do all these things I love to do and have my cake and eat it too. So I think the question is, you know, on, on the one hand, I talked to my really good friend, Paul, and he said, Chris, I, I absolutely love skiing. I'm not the greatest, but I love it. I'm so passionate about it. But even for me, with all my kids in Aspen Valley Ski and Snowboard Club and me, a, a super passionate skier and, and loving being here, even for me, the winter's a little long. So I don't know if uh, if all of these people that bought in the last year are here to stay forever, or if it becomes more of a, a part-time residence. But I know they're loving it being here right now. Uh, we've had sort of a mild winter, and, and obviously the summer was incredible in terms of nice weather, a little uh, a little scary on the drought side. But I think people are, are really loving being here. And I know a lot, a lot of uh, new friends that are my kids' classmates and that are now in the community are, are really excited to be here. And enjoy this quality of life that you and I have enjoyed for so long. I don't know long-term if their work demands that they return to the urban areas again, or if it's they're commuting more. I don't know. I think that in terms of the crystal ball in 2021, it's going to be hard to replicate 2020 simply because we have give or take, you know, 30 to, to 50% less inventory and, and less product on the shelves. And so it's, it's very challenging. We were just putting together our, our winter living Aspen magazine and we would get it all organized and put together and then sell two or three things that we were going to highlight in the magazine. And then we're looking at it saying, gosh, we're down to a fraction of the number of listings that we had a year ago. And so we kind of had to shift the focus of our magazine a little bit to telling our story and, and telling the story of our community and and highlighting some of our achievements the last year versus solely focusing on the uh, listing portfolio because that has changed and, and the inventory has dwindled. I think we are seeing historically low inventory now. And so what does that mean? I mean, obviously that becomes a seller's market. It also pushes the price per square foot up more and more and to never before seen levels. How do you think that unfolds for the remainder of 21? We're partially through the first quarter here. How have things kicked off for this new year? Well, a little slower for this year. You're going to look at the January numbers. They're going to be very strong. But keep in mind, Christian, a lot of that is spillover from properties that uh, went under contract in the fourth quarter of 2020 that are now closing in January and February of 2021. But as far as new pending sales, that actually went under contract in 2021, a little slower. And I attribute that to, you know, we're on the heels of uh, the most active selling season we've ever seen in Aspen and throughout up and down our valley, but also because of just a basic lack of product. I, I do think you're right that supply and demand economics dictates that less supply is going to put upward pressure on pricing, no doubt about it. That being said, I don't think it's sustainable 20, 30, 
40% appreciation year over year. And so at some point, I think it will slow. But that being said, with such limited product right now, we're going to see the, the prices continue to increase. I do think that sellers just naming the price for properties that may have compromises, I don't think that's the right approach long-term. It sort of has to make sense. And most of our buyers are extremely savvy and sophisticated, and they do look at the comps as well as the competition. And an overpriced listing as a result of this you know, new COVID paradigm is still an overpriced listing. And so the fundamentals of listing a property or listing a product and selling it still remain. It's got to be priced correctly, staged beautifully, and marketed aggressively. And those are the tenants, I think, of of sales and, and really what we subscribe to. What about the buyers themselves? You know, is, is that is it getting saturated? I mean, with such a high velocity of sales over the past year since, or at least since the summer, and then all these other choices out there, right? With, you know, Jackson Holes and new inventory coming online, Yellowstone Club, places like that. Is there, is there, this, is there a finite or an infinite number of buyers in this high-end mountain real estate market? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a pretty specialized market when you're talking about an average single-family home price over $11 million, or as we mentioned earlier, uh, my new listing at Starwood at 1020 Carroll Drive at $46 million. There's not that many people in the world that can really afford a second or third home uh, at that price point. So yes, it is a relatively finite uh, number of buyers that you're marketing to. But again, I think Aspen is pretty unique and stacks up well against any other mountain towns. And don't get me wrong, I'm uh, I'm a huge fan of of Telluride and, and Crested Butte and Jackson and all these other areas. And uh, we often have fun, you know, in a, in a fun, competitive manner with uh, all of the other top brokers there and our good friends in those communities. But I do think uh, Aspen's events and, and culture and arts and access and the, the the ability to have four ski resorts in a very small radius, I think does separate Aspen and makes it more than just uh, about uh, being a ski town or, or whatnot. There's, you know, the famous cliche that you and I know so well is you come for the winter and you stay for the summer. And so it's really got uh, four great seasons and something to do uh, year round. And, and even in the springtime, I know I personally love the ebb and flow of the craziness of in-season when it's not COVID and we're doing social activities and gatherings and, and fundraisers and events and activities. I love that energy and excitement and seeing all of our friends and connecting and socializing all summer and winter. But come the off-season, I'm ready to catch my breath. And, and I love the off-season as much as I do the excitement of uh, all of the activities during the busy uh, summer and winter selling seasons. What would you say is your busiest selling season? Uh, July and August, without a doubt. July 1st through about the second week of August. I think that's gonna look a little bit different this year. Uh, as you know, food and wine is pushed from June, uh, from the third week of June to September. And you know, I've heard this the last couple of years, and I think it's really true that September is the new July. And I, I made the mistake of, I don't know if it was a mistake, but uh, with this year, I tried to sneak away for a weekend last September to, uh, we went up to Irwin Lake camping with my family and, and our good friends. And it was a good, you know, socially distanced, safe COVID activity. And I literally spent the entire weekend at the Sotheby's office in Crested Butte, corresponding with my team and, and working remotely. So. I think I think September is going to be very active this year. It is probably the new July with the leaves and Ruggerfest and now food and wine. And I'm sure some other events that will get pushed from early summer to late summer. I would anticipate July, August and September will be extremely active. And typically more than 50% of the real estate business is done in about a six week period from July 1st to mid-August. I think that's going to look... Uh, that's going to be extended and look very much like that for two or three months this summer, especially with a bit of a slower start to the year in terms of there's not a lot of tourists here right now. I was on Highlands Bowl all weekend, and I think on Saturday there was 100 people on top of Highlands Bowl, and I probably knew 75% of them. 
Uh, not a lot of tourists here right now because of the red level, which uh, is now changing. And well, what really struck me as, as incredible is as I was driving home so often this fall, as we talked about in our very pronounced off season, typically October, November, early December, you'd drive up Brush Creek Road and you'd look up at Ridge Run or Wood Run, two popular Snowmass Village neighborhoods, and all the lights would be on in October, November, typically when there's a handful of people here and the rest are at the beach or the desert. Everybody was here and it was uh, and it was very active. So I think you're going to continue to see uh, the falls become more and more active, especially September this year. No, I couldn't agree more. September has always been, honestly, one of my favorite months of the year in Colorado. It's just the weather's typically perfect. Bluebird, you get some foliage, you can still do everything outside. Uh, just spectacular uh, time of year to be in the mountains. And I, you're absolutely right, too, in that, you know, this past off season that we went through, it, you know, it didn't feel like an off season, quite frankly. It was shockingly busy, I thought, here in October and November. And I think that was primarily the COVID urban exodus, a lot of people choosing to spend time here versus in the cities. Is that Was that your experience this off season? And do you think that's, a, again, a trend that's here to stay? We definitely didn't have an off season in the real estate business uh, this fall and probably too much of one in September in uh, those last spring. You got to remember that these record breaking numbers were in light of virtually no activity in the second half of March, all of April and May. It didn't kick off until June. So that gives you an idea of how active it was from the end of June through the end of the year and, and continuing with uh, only a little bit of a pause because of the lack of inventory and the lack of tourists here right now. But yeah, I do think that the off-season will continue to be, uh, I guess, the, the, uh, the lines will be blurred from the uh, typical on-season and off-season more and more. And, and as you know, it's always kind of a crapshoot in the spring. You can be riding your road bikes in a... Uh, you know, short sleeve shirt and, and biking shorts in April, or we can be having our biggest powder days of the year as we did, I think, last uh, April 6th. So it, um, it really just depends, I think, on the weather and, and Mother Nature to some degree. But I think if you're, if you're here full time and, and fully taking advantage of all that this community has to offer summer and winter, you're ready to catch your breath in the off season. And even when uh, when you are here full time, you're not traveling uh, commercially to some island uh, escape. You know, just going to the desert for the weekend is, you know, such a treat here. And you drive three hours, and you might as well be on the moon. The landscape looks so different. And I love those uh, spring and fall getaways with the family, and uh, and still being just in our backyard, not far away. Yeah, the real trick for any realtor is going to be figuring out how to get people to want to be here in the month of May. <laughs> well, if they don't want to be here, it's easy to sneak away to uh, Moab or Fruta or the desert or, uh, or you name it. And, you know, that's traditionally, it's the greatest job in the world because we work our butts off summer and winter and we have a very pronounced off season. Uh, historically, you know, after the Highlands closing party through until about food and wine and, you end up getting very busy in the real estate business because you're positioning your properties and, and preparing all the advertising and the images and the virtual tours and the videos and everything early June to launch for food and wine, the uh, historic kickoff to the summer selling season. And then you, uh, you're really busy all the way through Labor Day and everybody goes back to school. And then, uh, you know, it's sort of the weekends are busy in September. And then again, if you're going to uh, on a surf or kiting trip, it's usually October, November. This year, that very much wasn't the case. But I think we'll still have you know a pronounced off season when people do want to travel. And, and as you know, so many Aspenites and so many mountain community locals, that's their chance to recharge and, and get ready for a great winter season or, uh, or consequently after a long winter to sneak away to the desert or, or to the beach. And so I think that'll continue. And I do notice that when you do take a little uh, vacation to the desert or to the beach right before the winter, you come back and you're so fired up for winter. And the next thing you know, it's December and January. And, uh, you know, like uh, this past weekend, we had beautiful spring-like weather. 
and you're like, geez, March and springtime aren't that far off. I hope we get some huge powder days and some serious winter the next few months because the uh, winter days are going too fast. Now you nailed it. These seasons go quickly. It's always good to have something to look forward to. And personally, I'd say May is probably my least favorite month in Colorado, but it is a good time to get away. For sure. Speaking of getting away and unwinding and lifestyle, I have a section of the podcast I call a few favorites. What's your favorite recreational pursuit these days? Well, as a, a lifelong uh, board rider, I am totally addicted to foiling. I've gotten into kite foiling the last few years and now into wing foiling and foiling behind the boat. And in the summer, I've, I've had good success now with some new uh, like cloud kites, slingshots, UFOs that allow you to fly in really light wind. I've had good success going up to Rudai and going to Twin Lakes and some of the mountain lakes that are notoriously so gusty that sort of precludes you from being able to kite on them. Now, uh, I had a great summer kiting at Blue Mesa Reservoir and some of these other mountain lakes around Aspen uh, and, uh, and the Elks. And so that's one of my favorite things to do. It's like riding powder uh, on a snowboard all day, riding a foil. I, I absolutely love it. And, and I think growing up in the mountains and living here most all of my life, you know, surfing and kiting and, and visiting the, you know, visiting the ocean and doing that is sort of a different world for me. So I really love that. I think also, you know, being an Olympian and, and having the opportunity to represent our country and participate in three Winter Olympic Games, I still have a little bit of uh, competitiveness in me. And so I raced the Leadville Trail 100 every summer, and uh, I did 10 in a row until COVID uh, shut us down this past summer, but looking forward to doing that again for my 11th Leadville 100. And I love the camaraderie of it. We usually do it with our foundation. We have about 10 or 15 riders that uh, help raise awareness for organ donation and for the Chris Kluge Foundation and, and help us raise some funds so we can continue doing what we're doing. But usually in the summertime, you'll find me uh, on my mountain bike or my stand-up paddleboard or hopefully uh, a few weekends here and there on my foil up at Rudai or Twin Lakes. And I just, uh, I love doing those three things, especially in the summer. Much like some of the other numbers we've discussed in our conversation are fairly unbelievable. So is the Leadville 100. For the listeners, can you give them a little taste of what that entails? Yeah, it's a butt kicker. It's 100 miles. Uh, you start in Leadville at uh, 10,000 feet and ride all the way to Twin Lakes and, and to the top of Columbine. And you turn around at about 51 miles. It's actually slightly more than 50 miles. And then you got to ride home. And it's a suffer fest. I think the vertical is like 12,000 or something over 100 miles on a mountain bike. And uh, you get to do it with about 1,800 or, or so of your, of your best friends. And as I said, we do it with about 10 to 12 to 15 riders representing our foundation every summer. And uh, it's a lot of fun training for it and, and also doing the race and also doing it for a cause that's very important to me as a 20-year liver transplant recipient. It's really fun to, to do it with a great group of people supporting a good cause. What would you say your favorite part of your current job is? Christian, I've, I've been really fortunate to have, you know, some great success with my real estate career and, and snowboarding over the years. And so now I get the, the privilege or the good fortune of really working with some, some great people. And that's not to say we don't work with a few grinders and, and ball busters that um, make our job a little bit more difficult. But for the most part, I get to uh, I get to work with people I really enjoy working with and, and I get to help them and share uh, my insights, my experience and and a lot of the things that you and I have talked about are things that we're really passionate about and had to have developed some great friendships. And uh, you also work with a lot of uh, partners uh, in all segments of the industry that you get to work really closely with and, and that are critical to your success uh, as a sales professional. And, and that's like, for example, my good friend, Carla Osberg at, uh, at CBO Inc. She's the queen of uh, septic systems in the Valley. And, you know, it's so funny. I joke that I never thought in real estate that I'd learned so much about septic systems or about, um, about uh, foundations. Like I, I work with Jack Albright all the time, who's a structural engineer. And I work very closely with Ken Jankala and the whole uh, Jankala construction team. And uh, one of the reasons, one of the best things I ever did for my career was build my own house. And I say build my own house. I did it with Jankala construction and an amazing team and a great superintendent. But 
I was here every day asking a million questions to Randy, our superintendent. And I learned so much through that process that really helped me answer the question when somebody says, what's it cost per square foot to build in Somas Village today? And you can speak intelligently about the soft costs and the permit fees and the timeline. And, and so I think what's the best part about my job is, is the clients I get to work with, the friendships that you develop, and, and also with uh, so many members in our community that you really work closely with. If you have to entertain an important client at a restaurant, do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite? Let's see. I've got quite a few favorites. Um, hard, to, uh, hard to say just one. I mean, I'm a big Cash Cash and Campo fan. I love uh, Mobilian's Pinions. Matsuhitsa's hard to beat. Um, I had a great dinner with a client at Duomani recently. It kind of depends on the client and what they like. You know, La Hosteria is a, is a go-to for me. Love Tiziano. And I think it's, you know, my dad always, always said this, is you know, and it's a, it's a marketing and service industry mantra, but people return to where they feel welcome and, and where they feel appreciated. And so when you walk into a place like La Hosteria and, and Tiziano's up front welcoming you by name, that is, uh, makes a huge difference, regardless of, of how great the food is just being welcomed at the front door like you're like you're coming home. And so I always try to try to do that with my business too is really in you know in this world where everything is social media driven and and automatic drip campaigns and and social media auto feeds and this that and the other just picking up the phone and saying, "Hey Christian, how's it going today? I was just thinking of you. I haven't talked in a little while and I just want to check in and see how you and your family are doing." And I mean it's how do you personalize it? How do you make it really, you know, client focused and be there for your clients when we're in this instantaneous, you know, sort of auto feed world, if you will. And I think that's so important. So I don't know if I can pinpoint one restaurant, but uh, I love those that I feel welcome at and, and appreciated and, and love returning to. And sometimes it's sitting outside and at home team or, or taking them up to snowmass to slow grooving. And, you know, so often a lot of our clients have had so many great meals and, and so many, uh, so many fancy restaurants. And sometimes it's the unique experience of going to Lynn Britt cabin or taking them up to Ashcroft or, you know, bringing in a, uh, bringing in a chef and doing something that's unique. That's more experience oriented, if you will. I know you love to travel, and particularly to, out to the desert in the off seasons. And I know you like to go kiting, but you know, if you and Missy and the kids are going to get away from the valley a little further afield than maybe a road trip, where do you like to go? I'm a big fan of Maui, Christian. We love going to the North Shore of Maui to Paia and kiting our brains out and being right there on the beach and snorkeling with the kids and hiking and enjoying the beach time. That's one of my favorite places to go. I love going to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Uh, and doing kind of the same thing there. We had uh, a great trip. My wife is from Oregon and we drove our camper out to Oregon and did the Oregon coast last fall for uh, a week of kiting and beach time there. And that was really special. So I think there's a common denominator there that we love living in the mountains and I love where we are. There's no place I'd rather live, but when we do go on vacation, it's fun going to, uh, fun going to the beach. Nice. Probably goes without saying that your favorite nonprofit or charitable cause is the Chris Klug Foundation. Can you tell listeners a little bit about it and how they could get involved? Yeah, as, a, as I shared earlier, as a 20-year liver transplant recipient, I made a commitment shortly after I, I received my life-saving liver transplant. And uh, being on a transplant leading this for almost six years, I said, hey, if I get through this, I made a commitment to God, to myself, to my family. I said, if I get through this, I'm going to find a way to give back and help the over 110,000 people going through the same thing I did 20 years ago. And uh, that's what Chris Klug Foundation is all about, really three things, registration, education, and inspiration, and, and helping to inspire those, as I said, that are, uh, that are waiting for the gift of life, just like I did 20 years ago. And that's a pretty precarious and, and scary place to be. And, uh, and yet it, it really gave me a, a unique perspective of, um, you know, realizing what's important in life, your friends, your family, your faith, and uh, doing what you love to do. And 
that's very much what I'm doing now and trying to prioritize all those things, even in the midst of having my biggest year ever. You know, I, I think I shared with you earlier that, you know, I don't want to sound tone deaf and insensitive, but in many ways, you know, COVID has had a lot of silver linings for our family and some cherished time with, uh, with my kids and my wife and some fun camping adventures. And so I'll miss some of that, but you know, the biggest thing is I miss my friends and, and extended family and excited to get together again and uh, give you and so many of our, our friends a big bear hug again. I know. I think a lot of us miss that kind of human interaction, right? I mean, it's been incredible, like you said, to be able to spend more time with our families and our kids and that we might not ever have had, you know, if, if things had continued as they had been, you know, with all the social commitments and which we all love and getting out and about, but it has been great to kind of reset and, uh, and figure out what's important. It, do you have a proudest accomplishment of 2020? Well, hmm. I mean, I look at, you know, accomplishments and goals and, and setting my, um, my intentions and, and goals for 2021 and in a number of different areas, if you will, I've done this sort of goal setting and accountability program with a number of top realtors and, and friends here locally. And one of the things that made me realize is that success in just one area may be at the cost of something else. And so for me, I want to be a great dad and a great husband and the top sales professional in, in Aspen Snowmass. And I still want to be competitive on my bike and skis and everything. So I think it's all balance. For me, trying to navigate this whirlwind of a 2020, and I think still maintain some degree of balance. Uh, we had a, an incredible selling season, and we also had some really special moments with our immediate family and some fun adventures and trying to figure that all out. And, and for me, that really meant having a great team and, and making sure we were on the same page and and learning to delegate and not micromanage everything, learning how to, you know, and really empower your team and trust that they're going to do a great job. And they enabled me to not only have a great year um, on a business front, but also on a family front and uh, and athletically too, and, and do some neat adventures. So I think I'm most proud of that, Christian. No, that's great. Thank you for all the insights. What if a listener wants to learn more about your real estate practice and everything. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, my website is is the best way. Uh, it's klugproperties.com. And then all of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, are all at Klug Properties. And if you email from the website or, or contact us through any of those, it comes right to me. So yeah, love to connect and help answer any questions and you know, see if I can be of help in any way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a follow, leave a short review on Apple, or share it with a friend. For feedback, suggestions, or business inquiries, please email christian at seekyourmoment.com.